this young girl who's between 14 and 16 years old. And, and uh, he gives her this announcement. And he says, Here, here's some proof. I want to tell you, Elizabeth, your cousin, the one who's barren, is pregnant. And Mary runs, goes to Elizabeth's house, 100 miles away, possibly 80 to 100 miles. And Elizabeth doesn't know, but immediately as she enters the house, uh, uh, John the Baptist leaps in her womb, and Elizabeth basically quotes what the angel had quoted to her. Just confirmation of what God is doing, what God is saying, right? And God often does that. You'll be somewhere, God speaking to your heart, speaking into your life, and then all of a sudden here comes, whether it's on the radio or a pastor or a friend, they'll confirm God's word into your life. And that happens with Mary. And, and it's confirmed She's excited. Verse 45 says, this is uh, what Elizabeth says to her, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which, are, which were told her from the Lord. And Mary here, verses 46 to 55, 10 verses, uh, it's called uh, the Magnificat. It's, it's where Mary magnifies the Lord. It's a song. It's... Uh, much like a psalm uh, in the Bible. And we're just going to take a look at those 10 verses real quick. She breaks out kind of in a song here, right? She worships God with a song. And, and God has made you and I uh, musical, right? Some of you guys are more, Brandon was playing the guitar. This week he's playing the drums. Some of you guys are more musical than others. I'm the guy that has to sing in my car by myself. That's where I can be loud. Right? Maybe you guys are like that too, like you're a little shy to be loud here at church. Um, I'm not overly loud, I worship, but, but you know, I sing. Uh, but in my car, I can sing louder. It's because it's just, I'm the audience, right? The Lord's the audience. Uh, so, but he's made us musical, and Mary here begins to worship God for who he is. And this is intelligent worship. As she goes through these verses, we're going to see her quoting the Old Testament. She knows the Bible. She knows the Psalms. She quotes Habakkuk. She, she's like quoting Samuel, Hannah's prayer. This young girl from a young age has been taught the word of God. That is so important, mom and dad, to teach your kids the word of God, the truth of the word of God. It's a priority here at our school. should be a priority in your home to teach the Bible. And Mary, at this young age, you know, 14 years old. How many of us, you know, how many of you look at your 14-year-old and think, you know, Becca's got great wisdom for me today, right? And she might, but that's, that's my daughter Rebecca's age. It's young, 14 to 16 years old. This girl is quoting the Bible and so excited about what God is doing in and through her life, what Gabriel tells her is about to happen. She's excited. Looking up worship a little bit, I, I, I read, I was reading some books on worship this week. I snagged them from Justin's office. One of the books is a book I gave him. Uh, um, one of the books is a book that he purchased, uh, but uh, A.W. Tozer, you may know Tozer, you might read one of his devotionals. He says this about worship. This is kind of their summary of worship and what it is, kind of their definition. I'm going to read Warren Worsby's too. Tozer says, yes, worship 
of a loving God is man's whole reason for existence. That's why we're born, and that's why we're born again from above. That's why we were created, and that's why we've been recreated. That's why there was a genesis at the beginning, and that's why there's a regenesis called a regeneration. That's why there is a church. The Christian church exists to worship God first of all. Everything else must come second, third, fourth, or fifth. Right? That's worship. We're created to worship. Warren Worsby says this. He says, here's a working definition that we're going to refine as we go along. Worship is the believer's response to all that they are, mind, emotions, will, and body, to what God is and says and does. That you give this response to God with everything you are to everything that he is. That's, that's worship. Like, Lord, here's my life. I want to give you my life. You're worthy of it. And that's Mary's response she agrees, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm your handmaid. Do what seems fit in your eyes. That's what Mary says. Like, take my life. Fine. If that's what I'm going to be, that's what I'm going to do. Fine. Take my life. And we look at that, and we don't know the repercussions for Mary because there was great repercussions. She'll, at, at, for 30 years, bear this reproach of being a woman that cheated on her husband. Because that's what the scribes and Pharisees will tell Jesus. You know, we're not born of fornication. Thirty year, Over 30 years later, still bearing that reproach, right? It's going to cost you to follow Jesus. To serve the Lord, it's going to cost you something, right? But it's all worth it. It's worth it. So she begins to worship, verse 46. She says, my soul, my soul magnifies the Lord. And as she goes through here, the first thing she says is that she's thankful in verse 47 for God my Savior. She's thankful for her salvation. 48, she's thankful that God sees her. And as we go down the line, she's thankful for God's mercy, for God's strength, for God's provision in her life. That's intelligent worship. That's thoughtful. Like when you come here this morning, you should be thoughtful. You should be thinking about, yeah, what did God do for me? Why am I thinking? Why am I here? What am I doing here? Right? What am I doing here? Should be for, to worship the Lord. There were lots of lots of different things. When I first got saved, I was you know went to churches. I started bouncing around a little bit. Maybe maybe my wife is here, right? You know, people go to church for all different reasons, right? Thankful I found my wife. She's back over there. Right? But people go to church for all kinds of different reasons, and she's worshiping the Lord for what God has done for. Her, and she thinks about it. It's intelligent. Worship. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. He's elevated in her life, above her life, above herself, that God is number one. You remember in John chapter 4, I talk about the woman at the well all the time. I think she's very important. But we never know her name. You don't know her name, this woman of Samaria. We, know, we don't know her name or who she is. Really, we just know that her life was kind of messed up. 
She's, she's living with a man. She's been married five times. She's been looking for love in all the wrong places, right? And, and she's living with a guy, and she, she's got all these broken relationships in her life that she has to go draw water from this well at noon, the hottest time of the day. When, when people didn't go there, right? Well, the, the, I've been to Africa a few times, and a couple times I got to see the ladies still do that. Like, it's not the man's job. The ladies go out and draw water to wash clothes to, for, for water and all these different things, and they'll put a pot on their head, and they're carrying pot. I mean, how are you doing that? I can barely carry it with my arms, and they've got these pots on their heads full of water and, and with the, like a little, I don't know if it's a bean bag up there. Uh, but they go, and it's like social hour. All these ladies come, and it's, and it's you know, they talk about the day, the week, what's going on, how are you? Uh, and, and, but this woman at the well of Samaria, she can't go at that hour. She's probably divided homes, separated marriages. She's been married five times. She's, her life is turned upside down. She's living with another man. Right, And Jesus goes out of his way to meet her. And as he speaks to her and talks to her about salvation, they begin to talk about worship. Because he says, hey, go get your husband and we'll talk about this. And, and she says, well, you know what? I'm not married. She's like, yeah, you're right. Thanks for being honest. I know you're not married. You've been married five times, though. She's like, what? I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she starts you know, having this spiritual conversation with Jesus. And she says, listen, they, they you know, the Jews say we have to worship in Jerusalem, but my people, the Samaritans, say it's in Mount Gerizim, right here. Like, we don't have to leave. You know, what do you say? And, and Jesus says, yeah, you worship what you don't know. You don't understand what worship's all about, right? And then he goes on to say, listen, we need to worship God in spirit and in truth in spirit and in truth, right where you're at with all that you are, that's how we worship God. With everything that you have, with your whole life, with your time, your finances, your mind, your energy, God, you, it's all yours. That's how I want to worship you. And in truth, and you see this young girl, 14 years old, she's quoting the Bible, quoting the Bible. She knows the word of God. She's not going to veer off. Her life's not going to veer off because she knows the word of God, because the Bible says that it's a lamp unto her feet and a light unto her path. It's keeping her on the right path. We call it the straight and narrow, right? How do you stay on the straight and narrow path? Hey, you got to be saved. you got to know the word of God. That's a foundation for any life. It's a foundation. And, and so Mary, and, and so Jesus explains, listen, it's not location. It's relational. It's not location, it's relation. If you're born again, that's how you worship. If you're saved, you have to be saved. You have to be. And she says, uh, you know, my soul magnifies the Lord. Everything I have. And, and amazing, because for 700 years, ever since Isaiah's prophecy, when Isaiah told Ahaz to ask God for a sign, Ask him. He's like, no, I'm not going not gonna to do that. He says, okay, fine. You don't have to. Don't ask for a sign. But listen, the Lord himself is going to give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bring forth, bear forth a son. And you're going to call his name. Here's his title. It's Emmanuel. It's God with us. He's going to be right with you. 
right? And for 700 years, women in Israel were thinking, who is it going to be? Virgins in Israel, who is it going to be? Because they understood this to be Messiah. Who's it going to come through? And here it is. Here's Messiah on the scene. Mary understands that there's a temptation, though, to magnify yourself. Mary could have said, man, I am kind of special. <laughs> you know, hopefully people understand that, who I am. Kind of a special girl and a special. And she says, no, my soul magnifies the Lord. That temptation, that's what the devil did. And we'll get there in Luke chapter 10 in a few months here, a couple months, not that long, hopefully. Uh, we're going to pick up the pace when we get done with chapter 1. But, but Jesus sends out the 70, if you guys remember. She, he sends out 70 disciples to go you know, cast out demons, perform miracles, preach the gospel, and they go out, and that's what they do. And they come back like, we did it. We did it. So there's power in your name. This is amazing. Look at what we did, Lord. And, and Jesus said, hey, heads up. Watch out. He doesn't say, congratulations. You guys are amazing. You did exactly what he said. He says, hey, watch out. I saw Satan fall like lightning. Just like that. Why? Because he didn't, Satan no longer, Lucifer no longer elevated the Lord anymore. He elevated himself. He doesn't say, I magnify the Lord. He says, it's my, it's me. Look at the gifts God has given me. I'm an amazing musician, right? You worry about musicians uh, because of their talent and their playing. We went to Kingdom Bound. We go every year. We take the youth group. Uh, It's a challenge. Pray for us especially as you get older. What time is it? Nine o'clock. I got to go to bed. What are the kids doing? They're still awake. And I leave Leah awake. Oh, I got to go to bed. I have a great excuse usually to go to bed. But great bands. We listen to great musicians. These people are talented, right? And, and people have great gifts. Amazing. Pastors, musicians, people. You need to focus the attention on Jesus Christ, always, right? It'd be like a doctor performing surgery on you. <clears throat> and he does this amazing thing of surgery that's, you know, so rare and so hard and so, you know, difficult. And you get out of the surgery and say, oh, what a great scalpel that is. What a wonderful instrument. No, it's the surgeon that's amazing. He knows how to use that, and that's the gift in your life. And that's what Mary's like, my soul magnifies the Lord. My my soul magnifies him. He's the one that's good. He's amazing. I was thinking about my son Josh, you know, because Elizabeth probably shared this with her son, John, John the Baptist, right? This song, my soul magnifies the Lord. And John the Baptist will say in John chapter 3, he must increase and I must decrease. Because that is in people to want to increase, for people to want to see them, right? John, John the Baptist, he's older than Jesus. 
He's Jesus's cousin. And I was thinking about Joshua saying, hey, Jacob, you must increase and I must decrease, right? I was like, Joshua would never say that unless there was something supernatural taking place. And that's what's going on in John the Baptist. His mom probably taught him that. Listen, here's the song your aunt sang, this biblical song. It's worship. Listen to it. My soul magnifies the Lord. Important. And she goes on to say, verse 47, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And, and an unfortunate thing, and I, I talked about it last week a little bit, it, with some churches is that they elevate Mary to this position where she's still sinless, or she's a co-redemptress, or she is, she is doing something for you. She's, you need to pray to her, right? And it's not true. It's not true. Mary's not a perpetual virgin. She has more kids, right? She's just another servant. She calls herself that. I'm just a servant, right? Just like you can be and I can be. She's blessed among women, not above women, right? And, and, she, and she says it here, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It's exactly what Habakkuk says. She's quoting Habakkuk there. In Old Testament, we call them minor prophets, not because the content is minor, but because they're shorter books, right? Just a few chapters. She's quoting that, and God, my Savior. Why? Because we all need a Savior. Even Mary needed a Savior. If Mary needs a Savior, Gabriel comes and speaks to her. Listen, you're going to have a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. Why? He's going to save his people from their sins. But guess what? Mary still needs a Savior. If she does, guess what? You do. Because the Bible says all sin and fall short of the glory of God. You need a Savior. And then she says this in verse 48. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. He's regarded the low Lowly estate of his maidservant. That word regarded literally means looked upon. And lowly state literally can mean depression. If you've ever been depressed. That God is looked on. He's gazed on your condition. Bless you. Somebody just sneeze on that. Literally, she's saying, God has been looking at my life. He's regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. And behold, henceforth, all generations will will call me blessed. He's looked at my life. And I thought about that. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 16 for a second. In chapter 15, God has just promised Abraham a son. And he cuts this covenant with him. We, I've read it to you guys before. Uh, but, but he has all these animals. He cuts them in half and then 
God walks right down the center and, and they barbecue. You know, Abraham didn't even walk down the center. Normally, in a covenant, when you cut a covenant, you would hold hands and you'd be able to look at all the different animals that are cut, cut, cut. It would, and it would be a sign and a remembrance that we made this deal. Don't you remember that, you know, 10-point buck that we cut in half or, you know, whatever it is, these different animals that are cut? But God makes this promise all by himself. Abraham's asleep and God goes through the center. Makes this covenant, you're going to have a child. I promise you, Abraham. Trust me, it's going to happen. And then chapter 16, this man, Abraham, the father of faith, this is what happens. I'll read it really quick. It says, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. We knew that. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So this is one of the people when, when another failure on Abraham's part, when God promised him, pulled him out of the country, there's a famine in the land and they go down to Egypt. And he says, hey, tell them you're my sister. I'm afraid they're going to kill me for you. But God protects him, preserves him, and then brings him out with all this wealth out of Egypt. And this is one of the people that come out of Egypt, out of that mistake. Uh, 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 kind of a hiccup in Abraham's faith. And Hagar comes out. And Sarai said to Abraham, See now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. So he says, listen, marry her. And that would happen. That was customary. Take her as a wife and bear children for me from her. Do that. Maybe that's what God's going to do. It wasn't. God promised children out of their own loins that they would have their own children. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, then Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abraham to be his wife. And after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. And Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. This is your fault. I gave my maid in into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes, and the Lord judged between you and me. So Abraham said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as it pleases. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. So she leaves. And the angel of the Lord found her. This is amazing. This, this young slave girl running, part of a, a messed up plan, messed up life, found her by the spring of water in the wilderness and by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said to her, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? So God starts this conversation with her, asking her questions. He always does that. When God gets someone's attention, he starts to ask, hey, what are you doing here? Getting, getting other people to think. Why are you here? What are you doing? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress. And now she's thinking. And the angel said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her hand. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly. 
so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you're with child, and you shall bear a son and call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man, unfortunately for you. How many moms here have wild men as sons? My mom had one. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And, and listen, here's what's important. This is why I read this. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, I have also here seen him who sees me. God, you're the God who sees. I've seen you and seen that you see me. You see who I am. Therefore, the well was called Beer Leheroi, Observe, it's between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham called his name, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. This is the, this is the God who sees me. And that's, and, and, and that's what Mary is saying. He is regarded. He sees me. And the lowly state, I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. Things aren't working out the way I thought they would. Here was the plan. Here was the plan for Hagar. Hey, you're going to have a son. It's going to be my son, Sarai's son. But guess what? I didn't think it was going to work out like that. I didn't think that that twist would, I didn't think I'd have to run. She'd hate me? What the heck is going on here? And she's just a slave girl from Egypt, and God goes, runs to her, and meets with her. She says, oh, man, you're the God who sees. And a whole chapter is devoted to this girl and what God has done to her, for her. Hagar. She says, man, you're the God who sees. For behold, henceforth, all gener- generations will call me blessed, Mary says. I'm your maidservant. I'm just your servant. I'm a slave is basically what she's saying. Lord, I'm your slave, and, and why will all generations call me blessed? Because of the gift, because of what God's doing in her, right? That's why. Not because of who she is, but because of what God's doing in, in her life. Verse 49 says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And, and I'm sure as she assesses her life, she's thankful She surveys it, but the perennial problem with the church, with Christians, is we're not thankful. We're unthankful. That's a perennial problem. It's your problem, and it's my problem. We are more unthankful than we are thankful, right? I think it was Charles Spurgeon. may not have been one of those guys. Said that we write our blessings in the sand, but our problems we engrave in marble. So we never forget them. But as the tide rises, right, all the blessings, if you've ever made a sandcastle, if you make them at Jellystone, they're there for a while until the kids kick them. But if you make them on the, in, in the ocean, near the ocean, right, the tide comes in and just psh, washes it away. And it's so true. We can become so unthankful and not remember what God is doing and what he's done for us, for our lives. She says, he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And I thought of Job. Job, you know, Job, great guy. 
great blessings. If you read the book, you know, people think that the book of Revelation is scary, right? Anyone ever thought that? Man, that's a, that's a hard book to understand. That's a hard, there's a lot of crazy things in there. I remember before I was saved, I don't know why I picked Revelation, but before I was saved, before I was walking with the Lord, I'd do bad things or whatever, have a bad day, and I'd like, I better get right with the Lord. I'd pick the book of Revelation. I don't know why, right? I'd just start reading that book. The scary book to me is Job. It's more scary than, than Revelation, right? Because you get this impression, you get an understanding, and, and it's a greater understanding of what's going on in the spiritual realm. Right? Job's blessed. He's got all these things. He's wealthy. People say wealthier than Abraham was. He's wealthy. And then all of a sudden, it says that, that the angels presented themselves before the throne of God, and Satan came. And Satan doesn't ask for Job. God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Well, as a matter of fact, I have. I have been thinking about that guy, right? God brings it to his attention. And then all these things begin to happen to Job. All these things, like losing, he lost his, his, all his children, lost his, uh, all his flocks and herds and servants and all this stuff. I'll just read it to you. What it says, as it happened, all these things were happening. Lost all of his children. It all in like a one servant would come in and say, hey, all your camels just got stolen. Hey, all your servants were all the, and just one after another, like, oh no, here comes another person. What's, what's he, what bad news is he going to bring me? Like one after another, like a revolving door, three or four different things. And it says, Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell on the ground and he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. He didn't blame God. God, this is your fault. Well, he didn't blame God, but... As you read it, you think, man, God, you allowed this. But Job wasn't foolish enough to say, I'm not going to walk with you, God. This was too much, too much for me to handle. He says he didn't charge God, blame him. For, Naked I came, God, everything in my life you're doing. You brought it in. God, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Lord, I'm still going to bless your name no matter what happens. That's a challenge. It's a challenge, right? And I, and I see that in people. I see that in people. Because life isn't always going to be easy for Mary. Life isn't always easy for you. Mary, she'll bring Jesus into the temple. <laughs> you know, happy mom. Just had a baby. Wonderful. She goes into the temple, and there's Simeon. He says, oh, by the way, Mary, a sword's going to pierce your soul. Oh, what? What? I thought you were just going to give me diapers and wipes. Right? No, a sword is going to pierce you, Mary. It's going to be tough. And Mary will be there right to the end. She'll be at the cross. She'll see Jesus being beat. She'll be there at the tomb. She'll be there in the upper room. She hung in there. 
It's not always going to be easy for her. She'll bear the reproach. It's not going to be easy for you, always. Life is not about easy. It's about who we get to walk this life with. Who's going to be with us? And then she says in verse 50, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation, ongoing generations. That's God's mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, right? You deserve judgment. I deserve judgment. And mercy is not getting what you deserve. Doesn't mean you got away with it because you didn't get in trouble for it. Like everyone else, nobody caught you. Guess what? God sees. God sees what no one else does. God knows what you did, even if no one else does it. Doesn't know. Even if no one sees it. And mercy is not getting what you deserve. Right? Because the Bible says we've all sinned. We all make mistakes. Lamentations chapter 3 says it's because of his mercy we're not consumed. Because of God's mercy we're not consumed. And then he says his mercies are new every morning. Every day, every time you wake up, open up your eyes, there's a fresh new batch of mercy for you, for me. Right? It's brand new. You don't exhaust it, is what, what, what the writer is saying. You don't exhaust God's mercy. It's new, brand new. You get a brand new batch. It's like, you know, for some reason, my kids love cereal. They love it. You know, I liked it when I was a kid. We always had the, you know, if you've seen Tim Hawkins, you know, the, the generic brands, that's what we had, the generic brands. Like, uh, I always wanted the name brands, but we had the generic brands, and I was thankful for that sometimes. And that's what my kids get, the generic brands. But new mercies, like you go to bed, empty box of cereal, milk, there's like two drops left, and then you look at the date, and it's outdated, and my kids are still like, is there anything we can do here? No. But mercy, that's like waking up with a brand new fresh box of the brand name cereal. And milk that's not, here's a whole gallon, that's, that's God's mercy. It's fresh, brand new, every single morning. When you wake up, it's there for you. Because he doesn't want to give you what, des- what you deserve. Because you deserve wrath and judgment and separation from God forever. He doesn't want to give you that. It's fresh, it's new. Right? Jesus in John chapter 3 says, told Nicodemus, I didn't come to condemn the world. I didn't come to, he says, because they're condemned already. You're already condemned and separated. I came that through me they might be saved. That's why I came. I came to save, not to condemn. We walk through this life like, oh, God's trying to get me. I know he sees that. I know he's looking, waiting until I, you know, wait until I do 56 miles an hour and we're going to, you know, he's going to pull me over. No, God wants to give you mercy. He loves you. That's why you're alive. That's why you're breathing today, that you would receive it. Because there's going to come a time where you're not going to. You're going to breathe your last. And apart from Christ, you're not going to heaven. 
And because he's merciful, Jesus said this. Blessed are the merciful. If you're merciful, Jesus said that you'll obtain mercy. That you should be merciful, right? There's a lot of people in your life and my life that you feel like deserve wrath. Like I want to get them back. I got to retaliate. That's in our nature, isn't it? Like I'm going to get you back. I'm not going to tell my wife I'm going to get them back because she won't let me. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to wait out the day, the week, waiting, right? And Jesus says, no, blessed are the merciful. Because if you're merciful, Jesus said, I got so much more mercy for you. Extend mercy. So she says his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm and scattered the proud in the, ima- in the imagination of their hearts. She praises him now for his strength. He's shown strength with his arm and scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. You ever feel weak? Like you can't do it? Like there's no way I can do this. Right? Well, guess what? God is strong. And if you guys, some people here have gone to the gym. People have told me this. I don't know how true it is. But when you work out, when you work out to failure, that's when you're gaining. Like you can work out in the gym, I'm sure, you know, push-ups and all that, that'll help. But when you work out to failure, when, when you do a, a, you know, a bench press or a curl and someone actually has to help you, you make the greatest gains. It may not be true, but I'm told it is. Guys who went to college, somebody who went to college and studied this, I'm using it as an application, not because I work out all the time, you can tell. But when someone helps you bench press and you can't do it and you're all your might and then someone's just helping you up and you're, you're tearing muscles and repairing them and then you become stronger and stronger and that's what God does. His strength, Paul said this, we're going to close in just a second, hang in there. Paul says this, I'll read it to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I think it's worth taking a minute. Paul says, it's doubtless not profitable, it's not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. And then he says this, I, knew, I know a man in Christ 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or whether out of the body, I don't know, God knows. Such a one was caught up into the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Did he die or did he not die? Paul speaking of his stoning, I think, in Lystra. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which are not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I'll boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities, Paul says, verse 5. My weakness. For though I might desire to boast, I'm not going to be a fool, right? Some, you might think, man, I, got, I'm, I can boast in this. I'm good at this. I'm good at that. Well, Paul was good at the Bible. 
Paul was good at teaching the Bible. Paul was good at writing the Bible. He says, though I might desire to boast, I'm not going to be a fool. I will speak the truth. But I will refrain, refrain, lest anyone think of me above what he seeks me to be or hears of me. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations. He says this in verse 7, chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. You can note this. He says, a, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A thorn in the flesh is a spike, like a major spike. He says, it was given to me. That's like you would say, the word, like a gift. Like if it's your birthday and I gave you a gift. That's what Paul is saying. There was given to me, this was a gift and it was a thorn in the flesh. What? Paul, that's a gift? Give it back. And he says, a messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. And concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Lord, I can't take it. This is hard. And he told me my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in what? He says, weakness. God's strength is made perfect in weakness. So God gave him this thorn, this thing to buffet him, this thing that made him weak. Therefore, Paul says this, therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities, in my weakness, that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, Paul said, I'm strong. So it's not a bad thing to be weak. And and Mary says, listen, she's going to praise God for his strength, the strength of his arm. Because when she's weak, she can't do it. Guess what? God did. And that's what he wants to do for you. There's things in your life, man, I can't accomplish this. I don't, I don't have power over this in my life. Could be an addiction. I don't have power. I don't have strength to get over this, to get over the hump. It's okay to be weak. It's okay. To not be able to, why? Because she, that's when God's power kicks in. Sometimes you have to come and say, hey, listen, I'm weak. I need strength. I need encouragement. Verse 52, he says, he's put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He's filled the hungry with food, God's provision. And the rich he has sent, sent away empty. Abraham called God Jehovah-Jireh, if you read the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 22. The God who provides not just food, but salvation. God will provide himself a sacrifice. And verse 54, he says, He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And then she remembers She looks at the lives of a nation and people that were not very faithful and says, you know what, even though they weren't faithful, as she surveys this nation, the nation of Israel, and all the the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and you go right down the line and says, man, these guys weren't perfectly faithful. These guys weren't perfect. 
But you know who was? God was still remained faithful. God remains faithful. Why? Because he loves people. And he made promises that he's going to keep. You know what the Bible says? God cannot lie. If he made a promise, promise he's going to keep it. He can't, the Bible says he can't change and he can't, and he can't lie. Right? And that's, so she thinks about that. She thinks about that. He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his seed. And it says, verse 56, Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. So right when Elizabeth was about due, I don't know, Mary takes off. Maybe she's like worried. About, no, I don't know if I want to see this, but she takes off right when Elizabeth is about to have a baby. God's promise, here it is. Mary understood something, that Messiah was coming. No matter what it looked like in Israel, because it was the priesthood was corrupt. Things were bad. People were, were not doing good things. And they needed help. And they were discouraged. And guess what? Here's the promise of Messiah. And Jesus comes in a time of doubt, discouragement, and unfaithfulness. Shows up right on time. Right? That's what God does. He came lowly, humbly to die to save people from their sin. Jesus came to save you because he loves you in spite of you. In spite of, he knows everything about you and he still loves you. That's amazing to me, right? Because he doesn't know, he, he, he definitely knows everything you've done, but he also knows your heart. The things maybe you would have done if you could have got away with it. The things you thought about, contemplated, and he still loves you and wants to save you. That's amazing to me. So, Lord, we want to give you our lives. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of everything we have, Lord. And we want, want to um, just praise you for who you are. We, we want to offer you intelligent worship, Lord. And we want to be thoughtful. Help us to remember all that you've done. The way Mary reflects back on everything you've done for her life as this young girl that you just put your hand on. And picked her, Lord. But we see that in your word. That you've chosen us, Lord. That, that you so loved the world that you gave your son, Father. And you chose us for salvation. If we receive it, not everyone does. And I pray today, Lord, that, that hearts would be open to that the reality that people would know your love and receive it, Lord. And people who are discouraged today would be reminded of your faithfulness, that they would be able to reflect on it, that I would, Lord. We just love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.